This is part two of my conversation with Tara Hunt on the Clue Train Manifesto and the state of social media. You can hear part one by dialing back one episode in this feed or visit intendedconsequencespodcast.com for a full list. You'll also find my reading of the Clue Train Manifesto. Is this the first time you've heard it? Back in 1999, a group of contrarians saw a desperate hour approaching. A new tool had begun to change the fundamentals of communication, commerce, and expression. The internet was shifting marketing so fundamentally, these contrarians believed that it would change the way buyers buy and businesses sell. Confused businesses saw the internet as just another broadcasting channel, a place for their crafted ads and manipulative marketing. The contrarians felt businesses really needed to get a clue to climb on board the train that had already left the station headed for the future. In the spirit of Martin Luther, who launched the Protestant Revolution by nailing 95 theses on the door of a Catholic church, they nailed their 95 theses on the door of the Church of Ideas, the World Wide Web. The Clue Train Manifesto was immensely influential to me when it came out in 1999. Welcome to Intended Consequences, a podcast from Conversion Sciences. I'm Brian Massey, and I believe that anyone is capable of using behavioral science to get the results their business needs. It delivers intended consequences, and I'll teach you how to harness it. That's great, and if you help them solve that job to be done, they're going to be like, hey, wait a minute, I wonder if that person who just wrote that blog could... Like, could I hire them to help me get more jobs done? It was during a conversation with a new friend, Tara Hunt, that I found a fellow Clue Train contrarian. Tara is the CEO of marketing strategy agency Truly and is launching Flywheel, a resource for DIY marketers. Honestly, I hadn't thought about the Clue Train manifesto in years. When I read it now, it seems obvious. It's so ingrained in my psyche. Tara and I reminisced about this amazing document and look back at its impact. In part two, we look at social media, which was nothing like it is today when the Clue Train Manifesto was created. Settle in and listen, my contrarian friends. So jobs to be done, for those of your listeners that don't understand, haven't heard that phrase or don't understand it, is a framework that is used to understand sort of the crux of what your customer or potential customer is looking for, uh, to understand what is driving them in the moment where they are ready to make a purchase, basically, from you. It was, it's a term uh, or a phrase that uh, was sort of invented in, I think it was around 2016, maybe, or at least that's the first time I saw it in a Harvard Business Review article uh, written by Clayton Christensen and a group of others. And the basic premise of a job, of jobs to be done is that your customers aren't looking for you in particular. They're not saying, I'm looking for conversion sciences. If they already know of you, they may be, but that that's pretty simple. You just make sure your SEO is good on your name. Um, but they're also, they may not even be looking for what you're, you do, right? They may not type in 
to the search bar, you know, that I'm looking to increase conversions. They may not even know the, the terminology around there. What they're looking for, they're looking to solve a problem. And the phrase that's often used to describe a job to be done is when blank. I want to blank so I can blank. That almost sounded obscene. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Well, it can, I think it can be if, if that's your job to be done. Um, but yeah, so the, here, let me read a little the, the paragraph that I think is the most illuminating for describing this rather than trying to paraphrase it myself. And this is from the article in the Harvard Business Review. I can send you the link afterwards. Uh, we all have many jobs to be done in our lives. Some are little, pass the time while waiting in line. Some are big, find a more fulfilling career. Some surface unpredictably, dress for an out-of-town business meeting after the airline lost a suitcase. Some regularly pack a healthful lunch for my daughter to take to school. When we buy a product, we essentially hire, and this is in quotes, to help us hire it to help us do a job. If it does a job well, the next time we're confronted with the same job, we tend to hire that product again. And if it does a crummy job, we fire it and look for an alternative. So that's the crux of it. So we have jobs to be done. We're not looking for specific products necessarily. It's just sometimes those products help us complete that job or those services or whatever it is that we're looking for, right? So that's the whole premise behind that job to be done framework. So if you think about uh, it's, I mean, I guess it could help you understand your audience better. Uh, it's one of the many sort of tools in your toolbox that can help you get into your customers' brains <laughs> and understand how you can serve them. Here's a example that I have used just recently uh, when I spoke at a legal conference a couple years back. We, you know, we needed, we were growing, we needed to sign a lease, get out of the co-working space that we were in. And so found a great place. And my real, my realtor says, oh, do you need me to introduce you to a lawyer? I'm like, why would I need a lawyer? I've signed leases in my life. Like, how hard can this be? And so when I got the lease and it was 77 pages long, <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, so I, I think like my realtor said, uh, I could introduce you to my lawyer or whatever. And I think he was making the introduction, but I was still being kind of that stubborn DIY entrepreneur. And I said, I Googled like, do I really need a lawyer to help me um, negotiate my lease? And the uh, link that came up at the top was the exact phrase, do you really need a lawyer to help you negotiate your lease? Um, and it was a, Good SEO. it was, it wasn't, I don't think it was SEO. It was like on LinkedIn. It was a LinkedIn article and I clicked through and it was a really great article. And it was like talking about sort of the pros and cons, but at the end of the day, the, the person who wrote the article was like, yeah, you can do it yourself. Just you got to look for these pitfalls. And so I started going, I you know, introduced, I got introduced to that, my realtor's lawyer and they were pretty dry and they were, uh, you know, just did not, it just seemed like it was going to be expensive for them going line by line with me. And I just said, okay, forget it. And I went back to this article and then I realized the article was actually written by a real estate lawyer. And uh, so I went to her website and I started looking through some other things. And she's like giving away all the knowledge that she, she has. Like she could, I could have followed it and done it myself, 
But after I started reading through it, I was like, you know what? I better be safe than sorry. And I ended up hiring her to to be my real estate lawyer. And I ended up actually spending the same amount on her that I did was going to on this real estate agent's uh, <laughs> lawyer um, because it was a major uh, back and forth uh, negotiation. However, like my job to be done was to feel more, I guess, enlightened about like what goes into a lease. And like, I did not just want to have my job to be done wasn't to have this issue solved. My job to be done was to understand like what I was up against and what, what, what went into it. And so that was my job to be done. And she provided the, the answer to that. She provided, she helped me get that job done. So then I was ready to hire her for the next job. Um, another great example, uh, a friend of mine, uh, said to me at one point, and I thought it was really brilliant. Is like, don't think of content as promotion or like a you know blog as you know something that you have to do to you know, get attention. Think of it as a product, a tiny free product that you're giving away. And when people are looking to solve something, that job to be done, they'll come across that product and they'll be like, "That's great!" And if you help them solve that job to be done. They're going to be like, hey, wait a minute. I wonder if that person who just wrote that blog could, like, could I hire them to help me get more jobs done? You built that trust with them, right? So that's a jobs to be done, right? And that's just one example. That's where, you know, in the services realm, but, you know, with anything else too, is like the decisions we make are based on what product or service or whatever it is, idea is going to help me get this job done most efficiently um, and uh, effectively and well, inexpensively usually. Well, and that's a, that's a, that's a corner that um, our clients eventually turn, especially in the lead generation space, because you're not selling the HR management solution online. You're not selling the uh, addiction treatment center online. You're not selling those things online. The website is selling an education. It's selling uh, contact with somebody who's smart. It's selling uh, the feeling that, uh, okay, I'm going to be able to make this decision well. Those are the things that it's selling. And, you know, the measurements for those are, you know, conversion measurements are for those are the number of people that are engaging with you, talking with you, getting on your list, downloading your content. And that's what we're optimizing for. And it gets, you know, we'll have a, a page that is about, uh, have a, a consultation with one of our folks and the customer will be like, well, we have to talk about our facilities and we have to talk about our cost structure and competition. And, and no, no, this page at least is selling this consultation. And let's talk about that. And it's a, um, it, sometimes it happens quickly. Most time it happens very slowly that uh, the conversation is always around how can we help with this stage of things. So, so this is a framework, sounds like this is a framework that maybe we should look into for helping our customers understand that, you know, at this point, you're not really selling the robot vacuum, you're, you're selling another problem, which is, I don't want to be as quaint as to say dirty floors, it's the feeling that I'm not going to losing an opportunity to have more leisure time or something like that. Yeah, oh, and very much so, you know, getting to the crux 
of what that job to be done is, is really important. Now you don't want to get too deep and nebulous. A lot of people do that, right? You don't want to be like, you see this a lot on homepages, like we help you free up your time so you can do other things. Like, no, no, tell me how you like, not how you do it, but like, everybody does that. So don't tell me what you're going to do. Just go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and do it. Don't tell me about it. I'm looking for like an efficient vacuum cleaner. Is that what you sell? Because you, you don't say that anywhere. That's, that's going too far. So if we go back to also where people are at on their customer journey too. So for me, if I was on a different stage of my journey, when I was introduced to the other lawyer, I might've just hired them right then and there if I was further down, but I was earlier in my journey and I was still questioning and wanting to know what this whole hiring a lawyer for a lease thing was about. And so on that, my job to be done was to get sort of educated and feel like better about things. But if I was further down that road, if I, you know, next time, for instance, I need to sign a lease, I know damn well that I need a lawyer right off the top. So I'm going to be like, yeah, introduce me. Let's go. You'll be bottom of the funnel. Right. Your initial question was, is the leasing company going to fleece me or is the lawyer going to fleece me? Exactly. Who's going to take an inordinate amount of my money that I shouldn't have spent? So the key is, is understanding, uh, and, and, and this is where data can help you in a huge way, is understanding the stage at which the, you know, your best customer is at and the job that they need to, like the job that they have to be done, right? So if they are, so for the vacuum, for the robot vacuum, for instance, if they haven't even considered a robot vacuum yet, but they're just looking to like reduce the amount of, of housework that they're doing. Yeah. That message about like freeing up leisure, leisure time, the automatic way of like just setting and forgetting this, this vacuum. Great. Like, but if they're already like in the mood for a, a vacuum that they already know about robot vacuums, they, they, they don't want to be, they already know why they need a robot vacuum. They just now they want to know if your robot vacuum is the best one on the market for the best price and won't like die in five seconds and won't lose its suction and all the, whatever the other things that they're looking to answer. Right. So wherever they are at on that journey, you need to know, you need to know where they're at, what they're searching for. And that's where like data, that's where landing pages, all that stuff comes in. I'm sure you've talked about this ad nauseum. If somebody's searching for like area square footage covered by a robot vacuum, I know that's something that matters to me because our office, we haven't been able to find a, a robot vacuum that can actually do the whole office because it, it, it dies because <laughs> it's too big of a, a floor space. Like, if that's my question, bring me to that, right to that landing page that like, we have the most square footage covered in the market or whatever, you know, like that. And that's just one segment of any audience, the, you know, the methodical that needs to really understand that most of us are going to come to a well, larger segments of us, depending on your audience is going to come to the conclusion that like, wow, there's a lot to consider here. Is there something that could make it easy? And that's where personality, the unexpected jumps in. We talk about the, the the robot vacuums and I keep flashing back to some video I saw at some point where there was this cat sitting on top of one, a Roomba or something moving around. And you know what, when I have too many 
choices to make to make the, a logical decision, I'm going to go with the cat. What was that cat sitting on? And those are the risks. So that was, a, that was obviously a consumer that did that. The brand didn't take that chance. But when you hear about like Casper uh, um, and some of the stuff they're doing with their Goldilocks commercials, where it's long form commercials, it's 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 funny, but it, it's it's a complete demonstration of the of the mattresses and a different business model, which is like we're going to send it to you. Like you're you're not going to go and and try. Casper has is a such an interesting case study. Glad you brought that up because it is one of those things. Casper was brilliant in convincing people with perfectly fine mattresses that they needed to receive a mattress by mail. Like my husband, this is this is like a, a personal story of this. Like we bought a mattress, I don't know, not that long ago. It's a great mattress. It's like the best mattress I've ever owned. We spent an arm and a leg on it, like I tested everything, did the old fashioned, like whatever. And you know, Casper started came up, came about and started like going on podcasts and doing everything. Actually, and that's uh, here's a good lesson is also because Casper was on podcasts and people that listen to podcasts tend to like think companies that advertise on podcasts are cool. So he went, he was like trying to convince me that we needed to buy a Casper. And I was like, I'm not buying a freaking Casper. We, do, we have this amazing mattress. I'm not taking my chance on this. We Then we needed to, his parents got a, a cabin and they had an extra room. And they were like, if you guys want to sleep there, you have to buy your own mattress. So, of course, he was overjoyed and bought his darn uh, Casper. I get to see what this <laughs> is all about. What is Goldilocks really selling here? Oh, my God. And guess what? It Every time I sleep on that mattress, my back is broken. <laughs> I am so <laughs> glad that we did not buy that, like, get rid of our wonderful mattress to for his whim on Casper. But it's, it's just one of those things I look at and people just kind of, like, yeah, people that did not need new mattresses who were, you know, had perfectly fine mattresses, like all of a sudden were really open to a new mattress because of how brilliant their marketing was. And that's a real case study there in like kind of creating a demand out of nothing. There's like a, actually that's like a uh, something that rails against jobs to be done because people didn't have that job to be done <laughs> and they created it. They like created it. How Which brilliant is, is that? Other thing. But it, again, it goes back to taking risks. I mean, the creatives behind that are creatives that are behind poopery. You want to talk about how are we going to sell this using online video? I mean, <laughs> and I think about, you know, a brand like Warby Parker that comes out and says, we're going to do something absolutely crazy. They launched the thing to figure out if it was going to work or that, you know, the, the, the original value proposition was order as many glasses as you want, just, just the frames and uh, return the ones that don't fit, uh, well, return them all, pick the ones you don't fit and we'll put your, your lenses in them. They had, to, they launched the company to find that out. And of course they launched it and they didn't have nearly enough inventory. We can now test these things. We can try these things out. This is the thing I love. This is my favorite thing of, of all the things uh, in my job is that we can get a little bit crazy. I guess I'm to an extent with you. When are we going to get to the point where the data is making people feel confident enough or safe enough that they can start doing more of the things that really got them into marketing? And I talk about if you listen to my podcast, 
you know, I talk about this a lot. The other thing that was, was triggered in my mind as you were talking was item number five, thesis number five on the Gluten Manifesto was people recognize each other um, as such from the sound of the voice, of their voice. And I think this because this is why I'm investing in podcasting, the most unmeasurable, non-direct way of engaging an audience because uh, we have evidence from my presentations, from my speaking, that if people hear my voice, the kind of people that are drawn to us are going to be longer term customers. And so we're trying to amplify that because I have, a, I have a good voice for radio. I think I have a better face for radio, but when people hear me talk, they get that I'm about results and that I'm very serious about this. I don't know what they get from it, but I think it's a real advantage. Do you know who Donna Papacosta is? I don't. I would say that she was like one of the pioneers of podcasting. I mean, she's been probably podcasting from the late 90s. Like she's, she was back, you know, her, like she was probably rivaling Leo Laporte uh, for early podcasting. Either way, in, in the tech space anyway, or in the... How do you spell that? Papacosta, P-A-P-A-C-O-S-T-A, I think. Um, so she teaches actually course on uh, anyway the whole reason I bring her up is because she uses this phrase which I think is going to give you an aha moment she calls it the intimacy of the earbuds and what's beautiful about podcasting is a lot of people you know even from early days listen to podcasts on um, their like uh, mp3 players or whatever way that they could and then on like iPods and stuff like that right which meant they had to put an earbud into their ear so you that's that you're getting so intimately close to your audience by being in their ear right you are closer to them than a youtuber you're closer to them than a uh a blogger definitely you're even closer to them than if you're standing on stage and giving a presentation um, it does feel very intimate and uh, very close and so that's why i think also podcasts can be longer and they can be, you know, people can pause, have long pauses. People can make mistakes and, and go all, kind of all over the map because it's like having a conversation with a friend or, you know, if you're having a conversation with a friend and they're doing all the talking, <laughs> but, you know, because they're in your ear and there is something so intimate about it. And I just love the phrase that she uses, but I, I feel like podcasting, even though it's, yeah, it's not a huge audience uh, for most podcasts. I think, you know, if you get 200 downloads an episode or something, you're in the top 50% of podcasts or something. Oh, good. Well, we're doing better than that. So, yeah. There you go. Um, so, but that, those 200 people that listen to you, they have like a special relationship with you. So that's, uh, that's kind of nice. I certainly hope so. And I feel like we've developed, a, we've never met, but we've developed a, a certain relationship. And actually, I think this is one of the unsung things about podcasting is you really get to talk with interesting people. I learn something every time. And now I've got the intimacy of the earbuds. Earbuds. There you go. We're going to provide some links so that people can dive more uh, into this uh, jobs to be done framework and see if it's something that will work for them. Uh, definitely, uh, we'll include a, a link to Donna Papacosta's uh, stuff. Tell us what you're up to these days besides hanging out on this podcast with me. Yeah. So um, 
we um, are building a product that is about to launch uh, called Flywheel. Now, it's spelt in the 90s way, you know, like P-H-L-Y wheel. When Kent and Fly, <laughs> yeah, we're Pretty fly, pretty fly mm-hmm. for a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, and, uh, if you go to phlywheel.com, you'll see that the website itself is very influenced by the nineties. It just, I just sort of took that word, that pH and just went, went with it at that point. Um, but really at the end of the day, it's a DIY marketing tool. Isn't that risky doing something like that? That doesn't seem to be like a, a safe brand approach. <laughs> well, especially since we sell services that help people do marketing, right? Like basically we're competing with ourselves. We're putting ourselves out of business. But um, the original intent of Truly, my company that provides this services, was all about um, this model of teaching a man to fish. Um, I've always loved this model, uh, mostly because I am a consultant because I love helping solve problems. And then I like to, once the problem is solved, I, I like to watch as my uh, client launches their ship, ship into the night and becomes super successful and I can move on and solve the next problem. And uh, I, do not, I do not like uh, creating dependencies. And I think the world, you know, we talked about this earlier, I think the world would be a better place if there were more people that approach marketing in a way that um, was mindful, thoughtful, you know, under, like was really curious and, and understood and empathized with their customers, you know, did it in a way that um, uh, could create uh, more trust between uh, more of that clue train manifesto kind of conversational trust between uh, companies and uh, customers. And so uh, the best way for me to scale that, to make that scalable is to build um, the tools for people to implement the, themselves. So uh, Flywheel will consist of learning. Um, It will have a lot of different uh, digital downloads, resources, templates, all that sort of thing. It will also have a community that you can go to and ask those very specific questions, a knowledge center that will be built on as things change over time. And then we'll have also for people that want to, you know, I'm thinking of a lot of small businesses that can't afford to hire an agency, but kind of need an agency's ear from time to time. We're going to be having office hours that are attached to it that people can um, uh, buy, sort of one-off if they get stuck with uh, with their strategies. So um, yeah, it'll be uh, there's a membership model, but there's also an a la carte shop where people can buy, you know, modules and stuff individually. But the whole point is like I want to create an army of better marketers <laughs> rather than trying like one at a time. Um, so, and uh, for those of you who don't know the concept of the flywheel effect, um, just to quickly, and this is FLY wheel effect, the original flywheel um, was uh, created by Jim Collins. And uh, he has a new book, I think, Turning the Flywheel, but it came actually in his original book, I think Good to Great, where he talked about the companies that were the most successful were able to, instead of, creating like 
camp one campaign here, like sort of staccato. I have a campaign and then we're done and then we move on to the next. They actually create a flywheel. And so this flywheel, the idea of it, and we deploy this in the kind of marketing that we do is all about creating momentum, just like you would with a flywheel. Like it's hard to get it started, right? So whether you're building a, com a customer community or like a, a bunch of relationships and a good reputation, a good brand. And once that starts to grow, it picks up steam by itself. And pretty soon it's growing and growing on its own. Anyway, so uh, that's the, the concept behind it. And I'm excited about uh, it launching. Well, and, and Flywheel, P-H-L-Y, sounds kind of like a digital co-working space or something like that, specifically for marketing type people. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a nice way to nice way to put it. And uh, I think the community, I, I my personal prediction is that people are going to sign up for the education and the resources, but they're going to stay for the community. So that's you know that's my prediction. And so you heard it heard it here. We'll see. We'll see how that pans out. Great. So uh, flywheel P H L Y wheel.com uh anything else that you think our audience would be interested in in your sphere of things oh um check out if you have disney plus um the imagineering story uh it is such a fascinating documentary series on the you know there's a lot of data in it there's a lot of science in it and it and it mixes it beautifully with art and um, so I would strongly recommend that um, I think you can sign up for a free week trial if you binge watch that. And then you can if you don't if you don't want to watch anything else, um, catch a little bit of the Mandalorian or something. Yes. Yeah. The Mandalorian. Baby Yoda is awesome. Let me tell you, um, every worth every penny of, you know, that free week. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but that the Imagineering story is actually, uh, quite, a, like Disney master marketer, master marketer. And I think everybody in our space can learn a lot from that story. Well, and it seems like it's a story of people, uh, coming up with great ideas and then waiting for technology to catch up with them. Right now, if you if you can't find the technology to help you solve a marketing problem, you're not paying attention. It's a it's a golden age. Tara, thank you for being part of the podcast. Thank you, Brian. It's been great. If you're like me, the ideas are crowding around in your head right now after listening to this. Old ideas that you thought were just too risky to try are vying for attention against new ideas from this conversation with me and Tara. It's time to give your intuition a little help. When you get back to the office, immediately open up a clean spreadsheet. Label the first column idea, label the second column data. Start jotting down the thoughts in your head there in that first column labeled idea. Just describe them enough so that you can recall them later in detail. If you need to draw something, reference the page in your journal in that idea column. The data column is where you will list ways to test the idea. List any and all of the following things that apply. One, campaigns similar to your idea that have succeeded. Two, a report and analytics that you should run to get evidence. Three, surveys, focus groups, or user testing that you could use to vet the idea. Four, a strategy for trying the idea out in the marketplace safely. 
five, any allies that may have supporting evidence. These are people in your organization, in groups you know, friends, colleagues. This will start to give you a foundation for the ways that you can try these ideas because they don't need to stay parked in your brain. This is the beginning of your hypothesis list. It's a list that should guide your curiosity as you write, as you design, as you plan, and as you create communications. Get in the habit of opening it when you start a new design, document, or project. Now go science something. 